In this series, so next week, we're going to be teaching week two, Unfiltered Friendships, Wisdom When It Comes to Relationships. Why is it so many people feel so alone in such a socially connected world? How do you experience meaning, unfiltered relationships? Week three, we're going to talk about future, dot, dot, dot. It's part of the title, so I had to put it in there. But wisdom about the future. How do you discern the will of God and moving forward with confidence in the midst of uncertainty? Anybody want to know how to move forward in the midst of uncertainty with confidence? Uh, well, you need wisdom for that. It's about time. It's literally wisdom. Is Week four, we're talking about time and wisdom with our time. How do you ensure we invest our time wisely, make the most of what we have? Um, Chatterbox, week five is the title of that week, wisdom with our words, and hello, I want every, I think you want to be here for every single week, but um, I want every one of us here on Chatterbox Week, um, week five on that, because this is an area uh, we suck at. Seriously, I mean, just look online, uh, look at what we're posting, and, and we can be the difference for someone who doesn't know Jesus in the way we use our words online, socially, and respond to things. So incredibly important. Week six, skin skin deep, wisdom in regards to image and beauty. How do we navigate this image-driven culture and redefine what true beauty and value is? Big, big series, and we're calling it Basics because it's really getting back to the basics, Getting back to the fundamentals. That's what that opening video was about, was getting back to the fundamentals that we've lost. Uh, There's so many people that want to be great, but don't want to do the work and get back to the fundamentals to be great. And that's incredibly important when we're talking about life and when we're talking about our life. So often, we don't even know what the fundamentals of life are anymore. And we find them in this incredible and profound book of Proverbs. That's why it's call, I'm calling it the secret to human flourishing. You're made to flourish, by the way. You're made to thrive, not just survive. I know the Silicon Valley beats it out of you. We live in this busy, hurried, fast-paced, overwhelming, high-pressure, high-performance world And so it can feel at times like maybe I'm just meant to eke it through. Or maybe, and this is what I hear a lot, maybe I have to move somewhere else to actually flourish. You were made to flourish and you can flourish here. It's actually not so much about where you live, but about what you do where you live. So let's just wrestle with this question with me real quick. What is the secret to flourishing in a busy, fast-paced, high-pressure world? Have you ever wondered why is it that you have more and you just fill in the blank, yet it seems, yet flourishing seems far away? You have more education. You have more technology. Some of you have more money. You have more kids, you have more friendships, you have more followers on Instagram, and yet you are not flourishing. There seems to be no correlation, by the way, to being smart and flourishing, no correlation to being successful and actually flourishing. 
to having more technology and flourishing, or even to be, as we celebrate so much in our culture, beautiful and flourishing. So what is the secret to flourishing? In Proverbs chapter 3, it starts off this way. It's so, so fascinating. Verse 13. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. If not, it's in your notes. It starts off this way. The author writes this. Blessed. Love that. In fact, in your notes, I want you to write next to it, flourishing. Often we're disconnected with blessed, aren't we? And it becomes a tagline and even a joke. Hashtag blessed, hello. Flourishing. You can write next to it, thriving. You can write next to it, happy. Anybody want to be happy? Anybody? Three of you? I want to be happy. Some of you are like, you're too Christian for your own good, right? I know that's not the right answer. I'm not going to give it. I'm in church, but everywhere else I'm going to say, yeah, I want to be happy. That's what this word means. Happy, flourishing, thriving are those who find, help me out. Okay. You're going to have to go with me this morning. I know that you just saw an eight-minute video. I know first service, we're still getting coffee in our veins. But you're going to have to go with me this morning. Blessed are those who find what? Dang, man, way to show up, church. Right up on top of that skillfulness. You heard it in the video. It's a skillfulness of life. That's what the root word here means. And those who gain What? understanding, right on top of that discernment. Blessed, happy, flourishing, thriving are those who find the skillfulness of life and who gain discernment and understanding. Why? Because she is more profitable than silver and yields a better return than gold. That's the reason this message, this title is called Better Than Gold. Because some of us think, If I just get a better job, then I'll be flourishing. Some of us think if I just get a better friends in my life, then I'll be flourishing. If I just get a better job, a better friends, a better bank account, more money, if I get something and you fill in the blank, and what the psalmist is telling us is there's something better than that. There's something more profitable than that. There's something that you should be pursuing Full out with the, all the strength of your life for. What are you running after? What are you striving after? What are you pursuing and chasing? She is more precious than rubies. And I just underlined this next line. Nothing you desire can compare with. For some, you're playing the devil's advocate in your soul right now. Like, honestly, I have some pretty big desires. I have some pretty big dreams. You're telling me wisdom. Nothing that I desire can compare with wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's literally just, did did I stutter? No, that's literally what it just said. Now, let let me help you. 
Because for some, you're pursuing, you're desiring that promotion. You know what the promotion, you know what wisdom does? Wisdom tells you, gives you the discernment whether that promotion is actually beneficial to you or not. Whether that promotion and the raise and paycheck is worth the price tag on your life. We don't think about that. We just think the promotion is good. You know, when I first started out in ministry, I was offered my dream job. It was in San Diego, which I was living in Chicago at the time, so Lord knows I wanted to be in San Diego. Had great friends in San Diego. It's at this massive, successful church, and they offered me this job, and this was like my dream job at, you know, like 22. I was going to be the college pastor of this mega, mega church down there, and then I was going to be the worship leader. I used to, if some of you don't know that, I used to do music. I was going to be the worship leader for their Sunday evening services. I'm like, this is amazing. How cool is that? Ella, uh, or Jenny was pregnant with Ella at the time. We go visit, and there's a number of red flags. And, and through the course of time, praise God, I married a wise wife. Praise God. Men, I, women too, but men. Marry up. Marry up. Someone you go like, man, she's smarter than me. She's wiser than me. Um, okay. She's out of my league. Look, Jenny's out of my league. Hello. Everybody knows that. Everybody's seen. Hello. She's amazing. And, well, Ryan, we'll keep him because he's with her. Right? <laughs> and I remember her saying this. She said, you know, Ryan, I think you would be good for this church, and I won't say the name of it, but this church wouldn't be good for you. That's wisdom. And it set a trajectory for our life. See, because we just respond and our desires sometimes lead us down paths because we so desire them that we end up where we never dreamed of and we end up in a place we never wanted to be. See, it's so true when it comes to your marriage, comes to relationships, comes to managing your wealth, leveraging your time. It says, pursue it all else. In fact, uh, Solomon i got to check my time. Okay. Solomon, he, he was asked one thing by God. He said, hey, I'm going to give you anything. Blank check. What is it? And he said, give me discernment and wisdom. And God's like, you know what? You could have asked for a long life. You could have asked for your enemies to be smoted. Uh, you could have asked for wealth and riches and fame. But you asked for the very thing that was so wise and so good. And so you'll experience all the other things as well. And so with our time, what I want to do is simply give you a definition for wisdom. Unpack what wisdom is not. Why, if wisdom is so precious, think about this. If this wisdom is so valuable, have you ever thought about this? Maybe you haven't, because I've been studying it for actually a couple months, but uh, I've been thinking about this. Why don't we see more wisdom in our culture? Like, why is it absence? And I want absent, and I want to talk a little bit about that, and then help us lay the foundation for finding wisdom. All right, you got the outline? That's where we're going. Um, 
The secret to human flourishing, the Bible would say, is found in the wisdom of God. And so defining what wisdom is, wisdom is this. Wisdom is the skill of living life well in God's universe. And I almost took out in God's universe because I know we have people who are just checking us out and you don't buy into that presupposition yet. But yet this is biblical wisdom, wisdom by God's definition. And wisdom is the skill. And so it's not just about information of living life well. It, meaning that it's to be skillful in one's relationships, to be skillful in your responsibilities, in God's universe. And, and you heard it in the video, that, that wisdom is woven through the fabric of our universe. And so that this is an ordered world in which when we cooperate with the way God designed it, we experience, for the most part, life well. And so let me give you maybe just an unpacking of the skill side of it. Because I would say wisdom is very much more an art than it is a science, though it has both. Wisdom is the application of the right knowledge, information. And we often think about knowledge, uh, wisdom as knowledge, and it's so much more than that. It, the right knowledge, in fact, uh, this, one of the Proverbs says this. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs 14, 12, but in the end, it leads to death. And man, I got to tell you, we have a lot of people that think their way is right, and yet we're watching death of relationships. We're watching death of self, and we're watching death of their identity. We're watching death of just all around them, and yet so strong, and no, this is right. And that's why it's so important to remind ourselves it's in God's universe, not our universe. Wisdom is the application of the right knowledge at the right time. And so it's information. It needs interpretation. It needs discernment. Proverbs 26 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. The next verse, I love this, because this explains how wisdom works. The very next verse, you know what it says? Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, which is it? And the answer is, depends. Right? It's the application of the right knowledge, the right information, at the right time. There are times when you hold silent, when a fool's just spouting off because you're like, hey, I'm not even going to get into that because I'm going to be stooping down to your level. And there are times when a fool's spouting off and you have to go, uh-uh. And wisdom requires discernment of when that right time is. Everyone who's married knows that. <laughs> timing, timing matters. Wisdom is the application of the right knowledge at the right time. And then finally, in the right way. Because you can do the right thing, we've talked about this before, and in the wrong way, and it'll be wrong. You can say the right thing, but in the wrong way, and it'll be wrong. And so your motives matter. How you do things matters. Proverbs 16, 2, All of man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. This is why uh, it is a skill to be developed, not just information to be learned. And so wisdom is not, by the way, an age or stage dependent. 
When I was in college, the book I read the most was the Proverbs. For those who are college young adults, I would implore you during this series and on, that I just, someone once told me there's 31 Proverbs and there's, you know, between 28 and 31 days in a month. You can just simply read a proverb a day and just stay on track. I got to tell you, I did that for like eight years. God's word is so incredible that you can read the same thing and get something new time and time and time again. Never think you've arrived and never think you know it and just come to God with a curiosity in his word and he'll show up. And so you get into this and you go like, oh my goodness. And so it's not like, okay, old people are wise. We've all met old people that are idiots. Right? And it's not that young people are foolish. Because we've certainly met some young people that are incredibly wise. It's not stage development, whether you're married or not married, single or uh, career or college. Wisdom is not the same as being smart. And this is where we've missed it in our culture. We have confused wisdom with being smart. We have become smarter in our society, yet not wiser. We have become faster in our society, yet not better. It's not about how much you know. It's about what you do with what you know. The pages of history are filled with brilliant, gifted people who were smart enough to become famous, but not wise enough to make a successful or satisfying life. And wisdom is not a promise, but a principle. And so, wisdom can be discovered by observation. Since it is woven into the fabric of the universe, you can look around and discover wisdom in our world. Wisdom, for many of us, is often learned the hard way. It's called dumb tax. You just... Some of us just have to pay it. i got to be honest, I paid a high price in dumb tax in the early years of planning a church, of learning wisdom as a leader. Some of you have paid the dumb tax early years of your marriage, early years of your singleness. Sometimes it's learn the hard ways. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't learn. Uh, the Proverbs one, uh, was it? Proverbs, uh, I didn't write down the address. But it says, as a... Dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. And for some, you've been on the merry-go-round, and, it, and it's a relationship thing. You, you've just been doing that same relationship, expecting different results. Sometimes we don't learn the hard way. Some of us are gluttons for punishment. In fact, really more is humans have a very difficult time of making hard decisions. And for some lessons that are learned the hard way, it requires a very difficult decision that you're unwilling to make. And yet wisdom in the circumstances of life can be gleaned and learned, and it is developed over time. Since it is a skill, it is, uh, you grow in it and refine it over time. 
when you read the Proverbs, one word, and it, as you study this, I, study this with me, okay? Nine weeks, we're going to be in this book. Study this with me. And as you read it, you're going to notice there is a singular word that is repeated more than any other word, and it is the word way or path. Wisdom is not so much a decision you make, but a path you're on. That's what the Proverbs would say. It's a direction and a path that you are walking on and growing in over time. And one last comment, and then we'll talk about why we, we don't have such a wise world. Why we have all this ancient wisdom and yet we overlook it. And, and this is just a, a word of caution for some. Wisdom in one area doesn't mean you're necessarily wise in every area. Some of you are really, really wise or shrewd when it comes to the work world, but you're not very wise when it comes to your home world. Some of you are really wise and shrewd when it comes to managing your wealth, but you're not really wise uh, when it comes to actually being generous or wise in your relationships. And, and that's one of those things of just taking a personal inventory, but also realizing we put people up on a pedestal and realizing Wise in one area doesn't always necessarily mean you're going to be wise in every single area. Well, why is wisdom vanishing or neglected today? I, I just want to look at what I call three cultural turbulences. I was on a plane uh, Thursday, and it just started to shake. Um, and I had my laptop out, and as it was shaking, the lady was passing a drink to the, you know, the stewardess was passing a drink. I'm like, oh, good Lord! And, and that's kind of how I feel like what's happened to wisdom, it, except, you know, it spilled and, it, and the computer's like glitching out and all that kind of stuff. Is That's what's happening. We're in cultural turbulence. There's a few reasons why I think in our society we neglect wisdom. The first is the disappearance of moral knowledge. It's the disappearance of moral knowledge. The disappearance of a right and a wrong what is absolutely true. And we say things like this. It sounds so nice. Well, my truth. My truth. What does that mean? I mean, have you really thought about the implications of what that means? That asserts that there isn't a God in heaven, but you are indeed God and the sole authority, by the way, so... My truth. Well, that's actually not how truth works. Either it's true or it's not true. Either there's gravity or not gravity. Either it's constant or not constant. It's not, certainly there's things that are applicable to you. But truth is not one of them. It's either true or not, right or wrong. And we've turned into a pick or choose society because we don't want anyone else to tell us what to do. And as a result, we have lost wisdom because it goes back to the moral fabric of how God has designed this universe and for us to operate and work. The second is then of rapid technological advancement. Uh, the iPhone 10 came out, X, this, this week. 
I know actually one or two of people in our church worked on that. I love technology. I won't sing the I love. I guess I just sang it. Technology. But, but here's the deal. I am not anti-tech. But we are adapting technology and adopting it without thinking wisely about it. Think about it. We haven't even really begun to scratch the surface on what just TV has done to the impact of our culture and society. And now we're just rapidly everything else. We, we have more technology in our pockets than what launched a rocket to the moon. And so here's one of the things that has happened as a result. We begin to believe that old is obsolete. Think about it. The minute that came out, my phone sucks now. Gosh, pisses me off. And I don't have $999 to pay on it. But we live in a culture where old is obsolete and so new is not just nice, it's necessary. Think about it. It's not just nice. I need to get the new thing. I need to have this. I need to adopt to whatever is next. And so here's what happens. As a result, we've lost the sages in our society. If old is obsolete. Now, I know we have a, a mixed demographic here. But unfortunately, one of the things we've done is to say, culturally, if, if I can't Google it, then it must not be worth knowing. And your life experience wasn't the life I grew up living, so it's so different, you probably have nothing to say to me. And we lost the sages, the honor of the previous generation. I got to be honest, and let me just talk to the kind of millennial crowd just a little bit. There, there is a danger that I've been noticing. And the danger comes with, uh, I've heard certain people, and it's not every millennial, so I'm not blanketing everyone, but I've just heard certain people say things like this. They assert their personal conviction and viewpoint with certainty. And yet, from this my humble outside opinion, and yet it has little to no foundation on what wisdom really is. And I hear it time and time again. Wisdom isn't something you can Google. It's to be developed. And we're losing that. And I just encourage you this week, hang out with someone that's 10 years older than you and ask them lots of questions about the things you're questioning. Hang out with them. So we have this cultural turbulence, why wisdom's vanishing, the disappearance of moral knowledge, the rapid technological advancement, and then as a result of that, we're addicted to instant inconvenience. We're addicted to instant, immediate results, instant affirmation, and convenience. Easy, easy comfort. Wisdom is always most effective. However, it is not always most efficient. Let me say it again. Wisdom is always most effective. However, 
It is not always most efficient. Very important point here. We live in an efficient-driven culture and society. And if I can't get it now, I mean, I was just looking this week for brand new shoes, and it's going to take seven days to ship to me because I shop online all the time because I don't want to have a human interaction when I shop. I just want to be able to click it all on my own, and the racks really stress me out anyways, and so I shopped online, but it's going to take seven days, and that's way too long. I'm wearing older shoes today. I know, I was hoping you'd feel bad for me too. (laughs) And so instant has really began to deteriorate the foundation of wisdom. Because, by the way, friendships are never efficient. Relationships operate in the inefficiency of life, and yet they're incredibly effective. Character development is never efficient. And then convenience. We want it now. We want it comfortable. And the problem with wisdom is wisdom always asks this question. What is best? It always asks that question. You know, if you've gone through our launch, you'll hear this. We talk about great leaders, great dads, great moms, great students. Choose what's best over and above what's easiest. And we have a culture of easiest, and that's the reason wisdom is fading, is that's what we want. We want it convenient. We want it now. Instead of choosing what's best, delayed gratification for future good. That's wise. And that's the reason it is vanishing from our society. And so wisdom is the skill of living well in God's universe. So I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about where do you find wisdom. The foundation of wisdom, Proverbs 1.7, if you're taking notes, is the theme verse of the book of Proverbs. You'll find that this opening line, the fear of the Lord happens at least 18 times in the book of Proverbs. And it tells us, where do we begin in this journey? It says this, the fear of the Lord, circle that word fear, and then underline the word Lord, all caps, Lord. That's God's covenant name, by the way. It's his personal, relational name to the people of Israel and because of Jesus to us. So this isn't outside the context of relationship. This is in the context of a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. Is the beginning. Now that word means both the starting point and the foundation. It is the beginning place of walking in wisdom. It's the starting point. It's where everyone needs to start. And it is the very foundation upon which everything is built upon. The fear of of the Lord, and we're going to get back to fear in just a second. I know you're excited. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's our word discernment. But fools. Now, let me explain this real quick. A foolish person isn't always a wicked or evil person, biblically. A foolish person is someone who disregards God's ways, biblically. A foolish person isn't always someone who's evil and wicked, though certainly they are foolish. 
A foolish person is someone who disregards the ways of God. But a fool despises wisdom and instruction. No, it's my truth. (laughs) My way. Well, I get that's how you did it. That's kind of fuddy-duddy. But I'm going to do it my way. It's a new world. It's a different age. Keep up, man. Keep up. To fear means to have profound respect, awe, and reverence. Wisdom begins with a proper perspective of who God is and who we are not. Here's why this is important. Anytime you get around something that is incredibly powerful, you are filled with awe and reverence. Anytime you get around something that's incredibly powerful, beautiful, majestic, you are filled with an awe, reverence, fear. Grew up in Santa Cruz. Loved to surf. A couple weekends ago, I was with my brother surfing down south. To enjoy the power of the waves, one must first have a proper respect for the power of the waves. A fool will run in not knowing what is going on and just think he can do it, and that's how you get yourself killed. So I was surfing a spot that I hadn't surfed before, and I'm standing there watching it, and we watched it for a couple hours. My brother had been there many times, so he's pointing out the different things to look out for, the the rocks that are underneath the water that you can't see because the tide is high. Fool just rushes in. I got it. I'm good. And something happened, and this is another culture shift, that culturally, all of humanity for all of time used to believe that we were held accountable to God. Post-enlightenment, here's what's happened. We believe God is held accountable to us. The fear of the Lord, by the way, puts God in his proper place. He is high, he is holy, he is exalted, he is God, and there is no other, and he is not accountable to you or me, he is God. God. And when we come into his presence, it is powerful and mighty and awesome. And we tread with trepidation because he's God. It's God. Not our buddy, like sidekick, come do something for me. He's God. And oh my God. I had a buddy that once climbed Half Dome. And he's telling me, as he was getting, the hike did, not the front face. He was telling me as he was getting to the edge, he just instinctively got lower. And so by the time he got to the edge, he was on his face to look over this breathtaking, majestic, powerful, awe-inspiring view. Every time someone encounters God in the Bible, friends, they're prostrate. Because it's God we're talking about. 
and the fear of the Lord when we, when we realize there's breathtaking majesty and so we're filled with awe. When it's, when it's unfiltered power and so there's a reverence that fills us and we realize there's unfathomable grace. And so that breathtaking awe and power of God, then we come to him and worship. The fear of the Lord puts God in his proper place, and as a result, it puts us in our proper place. You're God, I'm not. You call the shots, I don't. Your way, not my way. And it positions our souls to humbly hear from him. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom. And so I want to close this way. Dallas Willard says this about worship. The act and state of ascribing greatness to God in every respect, especially in immensity and in goodness, in knowledge and in power, worship becomes the overall character of the renovated thought life and is the only, think about this, in the immensity of who God is, he writes is the only safe place for a human being so we're going to sing an old song. It's one of my favorites. And it talks about getting on our knees before God. There's something really powerful about our posture. That as we physically posture ourselves before God, it gets us in a spiritual space before God. And I'm going to invite you, and you don't have to, but I'm going to invite you as we sing this song to get on your knees and look up to who he is and go, oh my God, you are mighty, you are awesome, and you are God, which means I am not 